Hi, this is Bear Christianity Chapter 7C from Religious Underwear. We're still not quite dressed yet. Now, the second idea that I want to address from Chapter 7A is the idea that Christianity is meant to be a relationship or a set of relationships rather than a religion. And I also want to conclude my thoughts about changing religion or the idea of changing religion. So having just suggested that you don't necessarily need to know anything about Jesus in order to know him and so be saved, it's perfectly reasonable to ask whether there is any point in knowing about Jesus at all, let alone telling people about him. Well, the short answer is that knowing about somebody you love is of unsurpassable value. Why do I ask my children how their day has been? Why do we spend time with people we like? These are things that give us life. Well, how much more unsurpassable, if that's possible, could it be to know Jesus? Ian, who is pastor number two at the Bear Church, told me that meeting Jesus for the first time was the best thing that ever happened to him. And that's not dissimilar to what the Apostle Paul said when he said that he considers everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Or the psalmist who said, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In the introduction in this book, I said that closeness to God is about as good as it gets, as good as anything gets. Good news can be good news whether we know about it or not, but knowing about it gives us a broad and wonderful perspective. Living with good news is good news in itself. In which case, how could we possibly think that there is no point in knowing about Jesus? Knowing about him enhances the knowing him exponentially. In fact, I'd say that knowing about Jesus as part of a meaningful eternal relationship is of much greater value than it would be if it were simply part of a transaction that gains us a ticket to a place called heaven after we die. A ticket to heaven, based on passing a test on how much you know about Jesus, pales into insignificance compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus himself, of being in relationship with him. As I said in chapter 7a, heaven is not so much about where you are as it is about who you are with. With the proverbial mountaintop that we call heaven not being a nice place with nice things, rather it being wherever God is. Though, judging by God's nature, we would naturally expect those things too. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him, said the Apostle Paul while he was also quoting Isaiah. And this is all well and good, almost too good to be true. But as I also said in chapter 7a, relationships are complicated and a relationship with God is no exception. In fact, it could be even more complicated or complex. Maybe complex is a better word. If Christianity were a religion offering people a ticket into heaven after we die, it'd be fairly simple, dull, but simple. Maybe not initially dull, but eventually dull. Think being in Disneyland for too long, for example. But as a relationship, 
deep and fulfilling as it may be, Christianity is much more complex. This is because relationships involve more than one person's will, meaning that there is going to be competition and conflict. There is going to be giving and receiving. There is going to be leading and submitting. Even the most equal relationships among human beings involve complex emotionally charged negotiation. Imagine that on a cosmic eternal scale. Christianity as a relationship won't be dull, but it will take this complexity to a whole other level, another dimension, a dimension that involves the size, age, wisdom, depth, knowledge, and perfection and love of God. It's hard enough knowing other people who seem better than ourselves at just about anything anyway. We can feel exposed and weak and unattractive. We can feel like we have little or nothing to offer. We can feel useless. And the more perfect the other person is, the harder it can be. Which is not so much because of their perfection, but more because of our imperfection. We can feel like backing away due to sheer tiredness of being around them. But when it comes to God, in all his perfection and love, it's not going to be simple at all. It's going to be totally exposing. As I said in chapter 7b, and the closer we get to God, the more we are going to be seen and see our own insecurities and failings. It's going to be humbling, like standing naked in front of the mirror. Of course, God's unconditional love and acceptance should more than compensate for our feelings of inadequacy. It should make us feel relieved and grateful, joyful even. Indeed, God told the Apostle Paul that his power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. And this cheered Paul up so much that he gladly boasted about his weakness. But that doesn't mean it would have been easy for him to get to that place of humility. And it doesn't mean that we can easily get to that place either. There's no getting around the fact that good relationships require humility and a relationship with God even more so. With no proverbial fig leaves to hide behind, it can feel worse at first. It can feel like we are completely undone, absolutely broken. Now, by saying this, I'm not trying to put people off from engaging in a relationship with God, quite the opposite. Rather, I'm just recognizing how much simpler it can feel to have a set of beliefs and practices to live by, how much or how it might feel simpler to be part of a normal religion, simpler than being in an honest and humble relationship with God and his people anyway. Signing up to a set of beliefs and following a set of rules and practices where my good deeds will be weighed against my bad ones on the cosmic scales of right versus wrong has its attractions. To think that my eternal destiny would be sealed by merit, not because I got everything right, but simply because I got more things right than wrong, is actually quite attractive. It doesn't demand perfection for a start. And best of all, it means I wouldn't have to live with the exposure, feeling like, or in theory, feeling like I'm constantly failing. If I'm really honest, if I've ever wanted to give up on Christianity, it's not because I doubt God's existence. It's not because other religions make more sense. It's not because I think that God isn't good. And it's not because science can't prove God's existence. It's actually because of all these feelings, feelings such as guilt, feelings of guilt and feelings then of anger. 
feeling guilty for not being better and angry with myself for failing and then even more anger with others for failing and offending me and even more anger with God for setting impossibly high standards from up there on his high horse or flying stallion or whatever. Every now and again I can't help but picture Samuel L. Jackson in the film A Time to Kill shouting, Yes, they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell! That's how angry I feel sometimes about me, about others and even about God. Don't get me wrong, Christianity isn't against anger. Anger is natural. Anger is a right emotion that rages within us, feeding our discomfort and hate for injustice and crying out for an end to suffering. God put it there. But with reference to Samuel L. Jackson's cry, Yes, they deserve to die! Christianity wouldn't add, And I hope they burn in hell. Even though it might feel like that, instead it would add, but I hope that they don't burn anywhere, especially not in hell. It would say, yes, they deserve to die, but I hope they can be saved. Even when people have caused so much harm that they have to be locked up for their own good and for other people's safety, Christianity recognises that God wants them to be free. He wants freedom for their souls, freedom for them to love and be loved, so that there may be an end to injustice and suffering. In fact, God is so keen to end suffering that even though it's not his own fault, he takes the blame anyway, dealing with it all through Jesus. He allows us to be angry with him, to rant at him, to swear at him. He allows us to not believe in him. He allows us to believe the wrong things about him and even kill his physical body, as they did with Jesus. Christianity actively practices humility and seeks forgiveness, both to forgive and be forgiven. But these things are hard, aren't they? Humility is hard, forgiveness is hard. When it comes to forgiving the people who mugged my son a few years ago, it's hard. Or the person who ran over a friend of mine's six-year-old son, killing him and then driving off, never to be seen again. Forgiveness is hard. We all have stories of painful injustice and part of the injustice is that it's not even equal. Some have it much worse than others for no apparent reason other than randomly being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We can't control where we are born or who we are born to. And sometimes we are so angry that it overwhelms us, feeling that it's impossible to forgive. Sometimes it's just that we can't forgive ourselves. Sometimes we can't forgive God. But that's what a religion that is based on love does. That's what Christianity stands for at its heart when it is stripped down. It stands for love. The Apostle Paul couldn't have made it any clearer when he told the Galatians that, as far as expressing our faith is concerned, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In my pants, or naked, which is what I seem to have become since the beginning of chapter 7a, when I was in my underwear in front of the mirror and studying my faith, 
The idea of converting to Buddhism or another religion doesn't seem to make much sense to me, mainly because I don't see myself as being in a religion. Okay, I am religious in that I get up, I get dressed, I walk the dog, I eat my breakfast and so on. And I go to church every Sunday, I read my Bible, I say my prayers, I take communion, I've even been baptised. But cultural reasons aside, suggesting that I join another religion, or for that matter, simply continue to religiously practice the religious practices that I already practice in order to be saved, would be like suggesting that I ditch my living relationships in favour of relationships with inanimate objects. Like suggesting that I leave my wife and children to live with and look after some dolls and teddy bears instead. We may find meaning in religious practices and I don't have a problem with that. As I said earlier, they help provide boundaries and balance in our lives. They help us remember and appreciate and live well, but their purpose is to assist us in a living relationship with God and others. When I walk with God, knowing him and being known by him, I find his grace overwhelming, his love unending, and his conversation inspiring and warming. When I walk with God and talk to him, I feel the relationship is lasting, eternal and hopeful and satisfying emotionally, mentally and physically. When I am with God, I even feel set free from having to worry about money and sex and power and free from the burden of being condemned for my failings and my sin because I am forgiven and I have been able to forgive others. It's so liberating and it enables me to live less selfishly as part of a healthy community. God even helps me to make more sense of the Bible and to love the Bible. And that's why it's so worth making the effort to tell people about Jesus, to tell people his name. Because knowing about Jesus may not be what actually saves us, but it certainly enhances than knowing him. It increases the wonder, intensifies the experience, deepens the peace, and builds up the confidence and guides us into healthy relationships. Now, I know that Christianity has been severely injured by those who call themselves Christians, especially by those who have deliberately committed evil whilst claiming it is God's will, like the Crusades in the Middle Ages the burning of witches in the 17th century, the Atlantic slave trade, the Jewish holocaust and placards that say God hates gays. But really, if everybody followed Jesus, we wouldn't be doing any of those things. Mind you, we probably wouldn't do those things if we followed Buddhism either. Jesus wasn't the only one to tell us, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But that's not really what this chapter is about. The point of this chapter, religious underwear in its three parts, has really been about Christianity being a relationship rather than a religion. Jesus taught us how to live moral, even religious lives, yes. But it wasn't so that God will like us and not punish us. 
It was so that we might know how to live as part of an eternal reciprocal relationship with God and with others, experiencing peace and life with no evil forever and ever and ever and ever. So for the time being, in answer to that question that I was asked at the beginning of chapter 7a, would I change to Buddhism? I don't think I will. But I will keep thinking about it, I promise.